Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined today by Lacey Lusk to discuss the Washington Nationals system. But before we get into the system, Lacey, we have to talk about 2019 World Series champions, the Washington Nationals, something that a lot of fans have been waiting for in the greater D.C. area. There certainly have been some very, very talented Nationals teams this decade. This was the one that finally got over the hump, won the first playoff series in franchise history, or at least we should say since they became the Washington Nationals, then went on to win the World Series in seven games against the Astros. Clearly just an incredible accomplishment, and I would imagine the excitement still has not worn off in the greater D.C. area. Judging from the parade, that's about right. Uh, yeah, it really was qu- quite a run and almost ended that very first game uh, against the Brewers. But uh, for them to pull it out was, uh, I know it's hard to call a uh, fan base that's only been around about 15 years long-suffering. But uh, with some, the way some of the seasons have ended since 2012, it really was something for the ball to bounce their way so many times uh, this time around. Absolutely. And you look at this team, a lot of it was some homegrown players that they not only successfully developed but kept. Ryan Zimmerman has been there since 2005. We saw Steven Strasburg, everything he's been through, being hyped as the greatest pitching prospect of all time. And here we are 10 years later, he's the World Series MVP. You have guys like Juan Soto and Victor Robles who came up from the international signing periods over the last couple of years. Of course, Anthony Rendon, who was a top 10 pick in 2011. So there really was a good homegrown core here, and they really supplemented it really, really well with free agent additions. Um, obviously, losing Bryce Harper was a big offseason headline, but uh, they filled around pretty well with the money they saved from that deal. And you look at this team, I think that's one of the things that's really impressive was you just saw kind of the perfect mix of five or six key homegrown guys, some guys they acquired in trades like Trey Turner, and some really big-time free agent additions over the years, like the Max Scherzers of the world. It seemed like it was a, a very well-rounded team that was developed in a lot of different ways to bring a championship to Washington, D.C. Yeah, that sums it up uh, pretty well. They had a good mix. Uh, on average, they had the oldest roster in the mid-majors, but uh, with guys like Robles and Soto added to the mix and um, made for... Uh, a good blend between the Viejos, the veteran players, and uh, the um, young guys in the outfield. Uh, having Robles around certainly uh, made the decision to not sign Harper a little easier, and then they were able to spend that money on the on Corbin and Anibal Sanchez and a couple catchers, Dozier, and uh, you know different spots throughout the roster. And uh, they needed uh, most of those twenty-five to make an impact in the postseason. And one of the things we've talked about a lot here at Baseball America is you have great farm systems. That's a really, really big first step. But another key step is being willing to trade some of your highly talented prospects to get veterans who will help you push over the top. 
In the Nationals' case, Adam Eaton, they traded a lot for him. Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez. Giolito obviously took a huge step forward this year. But by the same token, the Nationals do not win the World Series probably without Adam Eaton playing right field for them. Again, it just seemed like Mike Rizzo and his staff did a really good job throughout the process start to finish, drafting, developing, but also not being afraid to trade top prospects for guys who had multiple years of control and ultimately helped push them over the top. That was an important part of this as well. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, they probably don't do it without Eaton. And uh, I'm pretty sure it was the same year the winter meetings were um, right outside D.C. Uh, in National Harbor, Maryland. Yep. Uh, when they made that deal, uh, G. Leo, Lopez, Dane Dunning. And uh, at the time, obviously, a lot of people questioned it, thought it wasn't a wise move. Um, but Eaton was a key piece uh, right near the top of the order for the Nationals in their run. And the Nationals, we've seen them pretty consistently bring up new homegrown talent in recent years. Again, we talk about Juan Soto making his huge debut last year, Victor Robles. They have a chance to debut a third impact rookie in 2020. Carter Keboom was the number one prospect in their top 10 uh, by the rankings you put together for us. Would you say it was a fairly slam dunk decision just after talking with evaluators both inside and outside the organization that Carter Keboom was the number one prospect in this system? It was, even though his first uh, stint in the big leagues, um, after that first game where he homered, had a couple homers early on, uh, even though he struggled there, he's still seen as the number one guy by uh, most in the organization. And then uh, the number two guy, without much doubt, is Louis Garcia, who's, uh, who, as you were saying, is very young for his league uh, in the Eastern League this year. He... Uh, Got going in the second half, had a good August. Uh, so certainly long-term, he could be better than Keyboom, But as of now, Keyboom is still seen as the number one guy. Yeah, with Keyboom, I did the Pacific Coast League Top 20 this year. And speaking with evaluators who saw Keyboom at Fresno, you're right. The Major League stint did not go well. But you have to remember, he at that point had barely played AAA. He was really a, a double-A player being asked to jump straight to the majors early in the season. Uh, but when he came back down, a lot of evaluators saw a really, really steady hitter who played very maturely for his age, just good at bats, very patient, consistently put the bat on the ball. And while it wasn't by any means an explosive season in the context of the Pacific Coast League, what just came back for me from evaluators almost to a man was he's just a really good, steady, mature ball player who doesn't shy away from the big moment and, and has all the skills to be a well-rounded player, not just a one-trick pony in terms of hitting for average or hitting for power, but can do a little bit of everything. Oh, it's definitely still positive about uh, Carter. And, uh, you know, he's from a baseball family. His dad uh, grew up in the Netherlands, came over here um, because of his interest in baseball. Uh, a couple of Carter's brothers, um, also played the sport as one is an agent now and the other uh spencer the catcher who played with washington just uh left the organization but um even spencer expressed how excited he was that the whole group won the world series this year uh but carter definitely is um has a head you know good head on his shoulders and i, I think he'll be ready next time he gets the call and with that there is an opportunity for that next time to be next year. Anthony Rendon is obviously a free agent. There's an opening potentially at third base. Brian Dozier also at second base is a free agent as well. So there could be an opportunity there. 
Is there a sense that Carter Keboom will be ready to take over a starting spot in the Nationals infield next season? Yeah, there's definitely that sense. I don't know whether it's opening day or not, but I would say very early in the season, uh, I would expect him to be getting most of the at-bats. Probably at second base if I had to guess. With that, he is a shortstop coming up. Trey Turner is penciled in as the national shortstop for the long term. Uh, at least the evaluators I spoke with, there was a sense that Keyboom would be even better at second base than shortstop, and most evaluators did see that as his long-term position. What kind of feedback did you get on him defensively? Yeah, yeah, he has an above-average arm. Uh, a lot of people still think he could play short, but uh, second might be uh, where he's more natural, actually. Uh, he could use a little more accuracy on his throws, but I, I, mean, I think he'll be good fit, a good fit at second base. So Carter Keboom, the number one prospect in this system, he made his debut this year, but for all intents and purposes, ready to have a full rookie season next year. The opportunity is there. The skills are there. On the other end of the spectrum, you have Luis Garcia, really made waves last year and went to A this year as a 19-year-old and really, really struggled, although we did see some progress at the end of the season and in the Arizona Fall League. What kind of feedback were you getting on Garcia and are evaluators still optimistic about his future? of his defense they see him as a shortstop down the line or capable of playing there if needed and obviously if Trey Turner's still there they could put him somewhere else in the infield um, but um, even more impressive than his bat to ball skills is that they see him as having some power down the line yeah one of the things I thought was interesting was in the best tools for the Nationals you had put Luis Garcia as the Nationals best hitter for average in the future over Carter Keboom. What were evaluators seeing that gives them confidence that Garcia, even though the numbers this year weren't great, will eventually hit for a higher average than Keboom in the major leagues? I think they're going uh, more on what they saw when he was 18 and then Hagerstown and then Potomac. Um, but they see that it's there. He was just struggled for a little bit this year as a 19-year-old um, against a lot older pitchers, and they were able to see him make some adjustments and um, they're banking on those adjustments being there in the future. Um, I will say for both those categories, uh, some saw Keboom, some saw Garcia, so it was a pretty even split. These are the top two prospects in this organization, and I did have a conversation with an evaluator this year that I thought was interesting, an opposing evaluator who has the Nationals as his coverage, and he said, and I quote, they've got the two guys at the top and nothing below it. Uh, so I thought it was interesting, A, he still considered Luis Garcia to be a top prospect, or at least a very, very good one. But B, he also did not feel like there was much below those two that would be future major leaguers of any consequence. Now, this evaluator did not see Jackson Rutledge this year just because he was still in short season ball. So with Jackson Rutledge potentially becoming the third prospect in this system, what kind of pitcher do the Nationals have here? Obviously, you went and ranked him number three in the system right away, so there is a lot of optimism about the type of pitcher he can be. There is. I was going to ask you, when you had spoken to the evaluator, if it was before the draft or after the draft, and you pretty much cleared that up. Um, yeah, so not a whole lot of, since he had his junior college season, not a whole lot of work uh, in the system last year, but... They see a big uh, six foot eight, intimidating right hander. Even though um, he 
he has kind of a shorter arm action. Uh, he's got uh, explosive fastball um, that's hit triple digits in the past. Uh, they, it was pretty much high 90s uh, at Auburn and Hagerstown this year. And he's um, got some decent secondary stuff to go with it. In uh, another organization, number three might be a little lofty for um, a Juco guy just taken, but uh, like you said, there's kind of a slot after those top two um, where he fits in nicely, I think. A lot of six foot eight guys, and he is six foot eight, he's a big boy, six foot eight, 250 pounds. A lot of times, right handers that tall really, really struggle to throw strikes. Uh, he does have a history of being a little bit wild. How much control is there for Jackson Rutledge, and do evaluators think he'll throw enough strikes to take the ball 30, 32 starts a year and be consistent? Uh, yeah, they think he's a quick enough learner, and that um, you know, once he gets in the r- routine, he's he used to pitch him once a week, and he's going to um, pretty much do it once every six days. Um, but just he's picking up gradually on uh, repeating his delivery well, and they do see him as improving in that department. So after those top three, as we've talked about, evaluators really see a very, very steep drop-off, even going so far as to say they don't think there's much in the way of future major leaguers uh, beyond those top two and then Rutledge being their top pick this year. Uh, Will Crow, Tim Kate, guys who have been around the system for a while. You have guys like Mason Denneberg, who was a first-rounder last year. Uh, Seth Romero is still around. There's a group of arms that have been taken high in the draft, but it seems like they've either stalled out in some cases or have failed to impress so far. Uh, You ultimately went with Crow as the top prospect of all of them. How much faith do you have that one of these four guys or three of these four guys will be more than just a complimentary major leaguer? One pitcher that made your top 10 that was very, very interesting was Andre Lara. The Nationals signed him for $1.25 million on July 2nd. He is all of 16 years old. He will be 17 next year. He's a January birthday. Already, he's number seven in this system. Now, you acknowledge in the chat that in some stronger systems, he would not be top 10. However, he's already shown enough that the Nationals feel like he's one of their best pitching prospects what has Andrew Lara shown evaluators already? And while we can never ever say with 100% confidence what a 16-year-old will be when he's 23-24, what kind of pitcher do they envision him becoming if he stays healthy and everything goes well? Yeah, I was surprised when I uh, asked the officials within the organization, you know, just name your top few guys, just how uh, much buzz there was about Lara. Obviously, I haven't seen him throw yet, but... Uh, with the way as quickly as Soto and Robles have developed it, uh, you know, when they say someone could be on a, a quick pace, uh, uh, you know, quick rise, I'm like, hmm, you know, that kind of, it's hard to doubt them at this point. 
little pitchability in addition to a 92 to 95 and uh, a power curveball that um, has good movement, uh, good depth to it. Again, there's a lot of risks when you move up the ranks. There's always health issues to consider, but what you want from a 16-year-old, it seems like Andrew Lara has it with the fastball, the curveball, the field of pitch, makings of a changeup, uh, confidence, fluid delivery. There's definitely a lot to like there. Into the back of the list, you mentioned having two guys who have barely pitched or not pitched well when they have been on the mound, as well as a shortstop who had six at-bats this entire season due to injury. Was there anyone else in the 11, 12, 13 range that garnered consideration for the top 10, or is this really the best the Nationals had to offer at the back of their top 10? There was, uh, there was another group beyond them. Uh, Trace Barrera, the catcher, um, who made his big league debut this year, was uh, chief among them to me. I uh, wanted to sneak him into the top 10. His ceiling's not quite as high, so... You know, one hand you have players with higher ceilings and maybe more question mark. Uh, and beyond Barrera, another guy who kind of had a little uh, buzz like Andre Lara is Eddie Yeen, a right-handed pitcher. Uh, considered him for the list. Uh, and then Sterling Sharp was in there last year, and um, he had battled an oblique injury this year but pitched pretty well in the fall league. Uh, thought about him, and then... Uh, Outfielder Jeremy De La Rosa is another young guy they're um, high on. And then out of this year's draft, uh, lefty, uh, who uh, I think he'll be up there pretty quick, is uh, Matt Cronin. So there are some guys here who have a chance to to help the Nationals in the coming years. It's not all guys who are many, many years away. We mentioned Carter Keeboom. On the one hand, Lacey, the national system, look, this is a bottom 10 farm system in baseball. It's not a group that by any means is deep. But... When you're the defending World Series champions, you have a lot of homegrown talent on the field. You've had impact prospects come up each of the last two years, and you potentially have a third. At least from the outside looking in, it doesn't seem like it's really anything to be worried about. Again, they're a bottom-ranked farm system because everything went really, really well. They did everything right. They graduated a lot of talented prospects to the major leagues. They traded some other prospects for impact big leaguers, and they're World Series champions. I don't feel like Nationals fans should be raising the alarm or, or overly concerned about this. It'll just take a few years to kind of backfill the systems, which is kind of the natural progression of things. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's a good time uh, for the farm system to be a little bit down. It was ranked 16th last year when they had uh, Victor Robles in the number one spot, followed by Keeboom and Garcia. And um, several of the guys below that had a, a, a little bit of a troublesome 2019, so uh, I certainly understand why they're in the bottom third, but um, the, it, there are a bunch of young guys who could maybe move it back up toward the middle uh, right about the time they need some help from the farm system. In the meantime, the banner will be raised over Nationals Park next spring, and uh, the celebrations will continue throughout the winter. And At the end of the day, that's what matters. That's the point of all this. You build a farm system to get a good big league team and win a World Series, and the Nationals have done that successfully, and they're in a good place to continue that. Obviously, we need to see what happens with Anthony Rendon and Steven Strasburg and who comes back, but either way, it's, it's hard to argue the Nationals aren't in a good place as a franchise right now. Lacey, thank you so, so much for joining us. We really appreciate your expertise and your insight, and we look forward to talking to you again. Oh, my pleasure, Kyle. Thank you. 
All right, everyone, that'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Podcast. For Lacey Lusk, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody.